Oh, sorry about that, Deborah. Somehow we got disconnected. Somehow we did, and I was getting all these uh, new messages. <laughs> but yeah, you you got to you got as far as um, um, the uh, you just you uh, it came to you while you were driving in the car that you need to use it commercially. Why don't we use it? So if you want to continue from there. Well, yeah, no, that's, that's, you know, that's where it starts and that's where it ended. But um, I I decided that, look, you know, somebody's got to do it and, and sooner than later. And so I, you know, kind of left academia and, and went off into private industry and, uh, you know, built the first prototype and revised and revised and revised and worked on it and, and got to what we have today. And, and, you know, what we've built today is, is, you know, stems from originally this, you know, kind of space uh, futuristic mentality. Um, and, and since nobody was actually in space at the time, we, we just used it for now. And it's, it's super efficient, um, you know, super resource friendly, uh, super healthy, all these, all these different things. So, you know, look, as soon as somebody is ready to go up again, we're ready. You know, this is this is absolutely the future. Yeah. So this could actually be used like right now on the moon and Mars. We wouldn't have to worry about food production, just getting it there and getting it started. Getting it there and getting it started. I mean, that's that's the idea that, you know, we were working on years ago. And, and you know, I mentioned that that, you know, one of the the anecdotal prerequisites for, for getting NASA funding was that you have a cool acronym. But, um, you know, the other thing that, that they told us was, you know, don't think of something that you can see happening in the next five or 10 years. You know, when you design this project, you know, think of something, design it with, with 50 years in mind. So think of something you can't even imagine ha have, you know, happening in 50 years. And, and, you know, that's, that's the designs they were wanting to. So, you know, this was 20 years ago, so it hasn't been 50 years yet. But I thought, you know, in, in the next 50 years, surely we're going to have colonies and, and we're going to have to have food production, uh, you know, on the space station or, or, you know, in a lunar greenhouse or a Mars greenhouse or something like that. Um, and, and that's where it started. It's been, it's been modified a bit and adapted to, to, to be commercially applicable uh, for commercial operations, you know, farming operations here, but could very easily, you know, go back to its roots and, um, you know, be used tomorrow in space. Okay. And, and then like you, you've got like what, how many varieties do you grow? Do you, do you, are you able to grow then? Well, it, with our hydroponic systems and in the greenhouse, you know, we've grown over 300 different varieties um, of fruits and, and vegetables, leafy greens. Um, I mean, you name it. So it's 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 pretty it's pretty unlimited. I mean, basically any plant can be grown hydroponically. I mean, that's there's anything can be. There there's actually no need to have soil. So. Uh, if you want trees, you can grow trees. If you want strawberries, you can grow strawberries. If you want, you know, kale, you can grow kale. If you want, you know, daffodils, you can you can you can grow daffodils. I mean, it really but is applicable to anything you want. It, 
it also produces it would also produce the oxygen and is, the water usually stays pretty clean does it not as far well, as there's systems in a balanced system um you you've got longevity it you know we I, I I do a lot of work in consulting with other people in the hydroponics industry and, and, you know, if you have a system out of balance, it goes downhill really quickly. Um, but you know, the, the plants do produce, produce oxygen. Uh, they use, they use up CO2. And, and if you go to, you know, somewhere like Mars where it has a really rich CO2 atmosphere, um, in theory, if you get enough plants there to, to fix the CO2 and produce oxygen, you could create an atmosphere. I mean, there's, there's other people on different uh, podcasts talking about that. So, um, you know, maybe that will take 5 million years or something. But in theory, that process could happen. So, so if you have an enclosed, you know, enclosed living quarters or, or, or habitat, um, you could very easily use the plants to provide supplemental oxygen and, and, and fix the CO2, um, you know, for, for those living conditions. And then can we use any, can we, can we reuse any of the um, uh, waste products or anything like that? Well, there's, um, by waste products, you're talking about the wastewater or, yeah. or the plants themselves? Yeah, the way, both, both really. Well, you can. I mean, uh, the, the plants themselves are organic matter. Um, and, and so that could be used, to, you know, to you know, for, for other things, certainly. Um, and, and, you know, there, the water can do a couple things. So you can, you, you've got this really nutrient rich water that the plants use um, and, and keeping that balance. So you have enough nutrient in there that the plants absorb, but not so much excess, you know, nutrient that you're wasting or, or having to, to drain off. Um, it, you know, and there's an art and there's a science to that, to, you know, real magic to keeping that in balance and understanding um, how much the plants are using and when. Um, so, so a lot of that, you know, kind of this interactive technology where the sensors are actually monitoring the, the plant responses is very helpful. But I'm going to answer that question in a, in a different context as well. When we talk about, you know, their, their use here on Earth, um, it's, it's extremely applicable and helpful. Uh, you know, we, we hear all these farming stories where you've got the, you know, the nitrate infiltration and, and the runoff and, um, you know, all these other things from, from the fields. Because when you apply fertilizers and, and waters to, to field crops, you know, only a fraction of that gets absorbed by the plant. The rest of it doesn't, you know, it, it, it eventually runs off somewhere or into our groundwater. But by using hydroponics, you can actually use the nutrients out of that water again. So if, you, if you've got, you know, these, these farmlands that are having the excess runoff into riverways and things like that, you can put in a hydroponic system, take that water, and you can actually run it through a hydroponic system, and then the plants will use the excess, um, you know, nutrients from that water and actually clean it up. Uh, so I think it's a really good complement for commercial farming today to, to actually kind of reverse, um, you know, these wasteful trends that we have going on. Now, I'm, I am not a uh, proponent of genetic modification 
as far as with plants and stuff like that at all. Um, and we won't have to have that, you were saying, as far as for space. Um, I was looking on your site, and most of your, uh, a lot of your seeds are, uh, uh, what are they? oh, goodness sakes, like original. Heirloom. Yeah, the heirloom. Heirlooms, yes. And uh, I, I plant a lot of those. I don't particularly care. I'm not sure about whether or not they've been genetically modified or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I'm not a big proponent of that. But most of your stuff, we won't need. We, you're apparently proving that we don't need any of that. Well, the whole, you know, kind of the whole basis and movement for investment into genet genetic modification started because, you know, we had, you know, the Dust Bowl and we had, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of this industrialization of, of agriculture and then we had some droughts and, and, you know, somebody thought, well, maybe we can, we can put a drought resistant gene in, in, into this and we'll survive. And for a farmer who yeah. And, you know, that's wonderful. Why don't you do that? Um, and, 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 you know, so science did that. And, and then it went a step further and said, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we don't like the frost killing the tomatoes. And so maybe we want to put a frost resistant gene. And then maybe now we want to spray um, herbicides because we've got a lot of weeds in the field. And maybe we want to make the plants, you know, resistant to, to the herbicides. And, and, and now we got this nematode that's eating the roots and maybe now we want to modify the plant for this. And, and, and so now, you know, once you kind of open Pandora's box, there's, if you're, if you're growing plants outdoors, you're always going to be at the mercy of, of what? nature in, in one yeah. way or another. It's going to be cold. It's going to be drought. It's going to be hot. It's going to be shady. It's going to be too, too humid. It's going to be too sun. You know, there's going to be bugs. So you're always going to have to deal with that. So you're always going to have to modify the plant to, to deal with that. But if you're growing in hydro environment, a, a greenhouse, all that goes away and makes, it makes genetic modification a moot point because, because now you control the environment, you control the temperature. You don't have to worry about frost. You don't have to worry about too much sun. You don't have to worry about root nematodes. You don't, you know, all that stuff goes away. And, and so you can really get back to, you know, to, to, to the heirlooms. And I, I think that's important because our, our, our commercial, our commercial world is very quickly going to, you know, just a few varieties of, of seed. I mean, we see that with our corn and, and, and wheat and soybeans and bananas and, and rice, you know, all these big commodity crops, you know, are, are, are all one, variety basically now um and and you know 92 percent of them are genetically modified and if we if we run into a pest or a scenario that these crops are not resistant to it basically wipes out our our, our global staple crops um and that's a scary position for us to put ourselves in and so by continuing to grow and cultivate these heirloom seeds. We make sure that they're available as a backup in case we need to introduce kind of new strains. And, um, you know, we, we have a backup if there's something that, that destroys yeah. our commodity crops, we know. So how, how, so let's say I'm in space 
and like uh, uh what was that Matt Damon in that Mars show um oh gosh <laughs> no. don't don't get me started on that <laughs> I, I'm sure he meant well but but look Matt Matt you should have called me before you did that movie <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I don't think it's going to work out the way he, they planned on it in reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was a few painting tarps from Home Depot and, and some red <laughs> red clay soil from the Carolinas, it looked like. But... <laughs> and then, uh, but I mean, when we first get there, we're going to have to set up a greenhouse. Of course, we'll, of course it would have to be uh, hydroponic because we, we yeah. can't particularly grow anything because of the particular salts up there in Mars soil. Um, but how much, how big would we have to have a greenhouse for one person to be able to survive? Well, I mean, that's, that's, it depends on your definition of survival. I mean, if we look at, um, if we look at the consumption averages, on earth you've got some countries that are that are like you know 13 13 kg um per capita per year which means which means you know for a given population each each person eats 13 kilograms of, of fresh fruit and vegetables per year and then you have other countries that are 300 um so you know let's pick a spot in the middle and say and say you're on mars and you want to eat 150 kg of of fruit and vegetables you know, per year, which is, you know, uh, about a pound a day, you know, you're about, uh, about a pound a day of, of fruit and veggies. So imagine that, that that's basically, you know, your, your food up there and you might have some other supplemental um, freeze dried pills or, <laughs> or whatever you brought with you to, to, to Mars. But let's just say, yeah, let's say you're eating a pound a day. So then you would need, um, about 16, 16 square feet. Um, That's nice. So basically, four, four, four by four yeah. to to get your to get your annual to get your annual vegetable consumption at about a pound a day per person. Wow, that's amazing! I would I would have never even guessed it would have been that small. It's about sixteen. It's about sixteen square feet, and that's and that's saying that you're 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 going about twelve feet high. So now you can do cubic if you want. But um, you know, it, it's it's not it's not unrealistic. I mean, that's that's you know not even a walk-in closet. I mean, that's really you know if you yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it's it's very very doable. Hydroponics is is very concentrated, is very intense, and um, you know you're you're harvesting every day and you're you're planting every day basically. So so everything's always on a on a cycle. It's not like you have to plant and then wait till fall and 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 harvest. Right. Uh, so it's very conducive to you know to a scenario where you have to where you have to harvest on a on a very regular basis. Okay, and then uh, my last question, and I, I you got to go, but I'm a, I'm a carnivore. What am I going to do about eating meat? Or am I going to have to go vegetarian or vegan? 
Well, you know, pe- people say that, but, but, you know, there's, when people say I'm a carnivore, it, it either means I, I, I like to take my shirt off and be on the back porch drinking a beer and grilling, <laughs> um, you know, or, or it you means I want to eat, eat, well, you know, we won't, that's another podcast maybe, but, <laughs> you know, or, or it means I want to eat protein. So, so when you say I'm a carnivore, you you have you have to pick which definition that is. If it if if you're saying I want to eat protein, then there's plenty of ways to get protein um, without taking your shirt off and drinking a bill and beer and grilling on the on the back porch, you know. So, um, so you you just have to decide what that what that definition is. But I you know there's so so many options for for protein production um, that you can grow hydroponically that that will get you everything you require. So um, yeah, and and it's plant based protein, but but you'll have your complete proteins. Um, uh, and 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 maybe NASA will ship you a beer and and. <laughs> I, and I, but you, you can know, actually make the beer, you know, <laughs> with the plants. <laughs> well, there, you know, you 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 could, someone could, yeah, yeah. I mean, you. I'm sure there's. I'm sure those first guys out there, the first thing they would want to do is ferment something, and um, <laughs> you know, if you're if you're growing sugars up there, might as well. Yep. <laughs> um. All right. Well. Um, if you want to do this again, you just let me know. You know how to get a hold of me, and we'll figure out what we're Absolutely. going to talk about next. I would, I'd, I appreciate your time very much. And I oh, think- it was a pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. Okay. Well, take- go ahead. No, I was just going to say, take care, Rob. Till next time, and and uh, happy coming up with ideas. Yep. <laughs> It's not as easy as they as you would think. <laughs> I know, I know. That's the hard part. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And there likewise, Deborah Walliser, and she's gonna tell us what we're gonna need to take care of once we get to space, and how we're gonna make it all happen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and please subscribe. And uh, tell your friends. Thank you so much, Deborah. I'll see you later. Bye now. Bye-bye.